All right. If y'all would stand with us again, and we will worship God. Open our hearts before Brother Jerry brings our message. A thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleasing that I'm never alone. You're good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Oh, I see many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers. Only you provide because you know just what we need before we say a word your good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and i'm loved by you it's who i am it's who i am it's who i
just thank you for being the God that you are. Lord, thank you for uh, being such a wonderful Father. Lord, Lord uh, you're mighty and you're awesome, Lord. I just, uh, Lord, I just pray that you make me like your image, Lord, to worship you. And uh, Father God, uh, Lord, just thank you. That's really all I can say, God. Just thank you for being the God that you are. Lord, be with Brother Jerry as he brings our message, Lord. I just pray you uh, move mighty in this place this morning, Lord. Praise the Lord, church. It's good to worship the Lord, isn't it? He's worthy of it, isn't he? Have you been following along with us on Sunday mornings? We are on our way through 1 Corinthians. We have been cruising through 1 Corinthians. And today we come up to chapter 14. And so today's one of those chapters that, that's kind of tough. If you preach through the Word and if you actually open up a letter and start going straight through it, this is one of those passages you might just kind of not go to very often. There's some things in there that you might struggle with, that there's some confusion, some contention with in the churches. And so as we go to this passage today, I pray that you would go ahead and pray that God would give us a spirit of gentleness, of humility, and of discernment. That as we open up his word, that we would do that very thing, knowing that it is his word, and that we are yielding to the spirit as he gives us understanding of that. And so we're cruising right through, we finish up chapter 14 today. Next week we look at chapter 15, the resurrection chapter. I love chapter 15, in fact it's one of the earliest creeds of all the scripture, the fact of, of what the gospel is. And so it, it, the thing I even like more about next week is that we have a baptism next week. <laughs> And it celebrates the resurrection of Christ. And so I'm looking forward to baptism and getting into the resurrection chapter of the scripture there in chapter 15. And then we'll finish up 1 Corinthians the week after that. And then guess what's the next week? It's coming quick. Easter. That's right. We come up on Easter and I am just overwhelmed with what God is going to do on Easter. I believe he's already at work. He's been at work for many weeks now as we've been looking at, as I've been just asking him what he has for us, what he wants us to go through. And so we're looking at this fact that his love never fails. And so I think that's a message we all need to hear, church. His love never failed. It will not fail. And it has not failed right now. It's not failing. And so we'll have a Good Friday service along those same lines, too, on April 2nd. That's at 6.30. And I want to go ahead and warn parents while I'm thinking about it that if you bring little children with you on Good Friday, this year will be just a little different. I'm going to throw a little short scene, couple minute, one or two minute of the crucifixion scene from the Passion of Christ. And so you know how brutal and realistic that looks. And so just use your own discernment. Kids are welcome, but I want you to know what is going to be played as we take of the Lord's Supper, I'm excited about the opportunity to do that together. Then we have the sunrise service, S-O-N, sunrise service at the pavilion. And then we'll have breakfast afterwards and then the Easter message, love never fails. Two years ago, the year, the Easter before COVID, we had 286 people in here for Easter. 
I'd love to see um, the Lord fill this place again, not for our glory or anything else except for that many people getting a chance to hear the gospel. Amen? Let's start thinking about who we're going to invite, who we're going to walk through that with, who's, who we can invite to say, hey, you want to come gather with me at, at the church, with the church. And so, But before we get to all that, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you take your Bibles, turn there. If you remember last week, we talked about how Paul was... Um, bringing attention, bringing attention to the fact that the greatest gift, um, he talks about spiritual gifts, but those come from the greatest gift, which is the Holy Spirit. And we looked at how we are to yield to the Holy Spirit. That was the message in our lives and how we use the gifts that he gives us. But today, we're going to see the continuation of that and how the corporate spirit is at work. Because the spirit is corporate, right? The same Holy Spirit that is in me is the same Holy Spirit in you. Amen? Okay, so it's a corporate Holy Spirit in which it has a corporate work. And so I'm excited about going through that with you today to, to look at, to see the continuation of the work of the Spirit, but to see the results of the corporate work of the Holy Spirit. What does the Spirit do within a body of Christ? What does it look like for us to yield to the Spirit? What happens as a result of that? That's what the message is about this morning. That's what chapter 14, I believe, is really about. And so there's three different things we're going to see. One of the results is edification. That's what I was talking with the children about a little bit. That we'd edify one another. Another one is understanding. And then lastly, order. Peace, that there would be order. And so I'm going to break these down. That's the outline of today's message already. You have it in front of you. The first point this morning is the corporate work of the Spirit brings about edification within the body. The corporate work of the Spirit brings about edification within the body. Before we read, let's pray. Father God, Lord, we continue to come before you, Jesus. To come before you, Father. To come before you, Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask that all three would be at work today. Lord, that we would rest on the finished work of Christ today. That we'd look at the Heavenly Father that encourages Lord, who sent the Spirit of God to convict and transform and guide us, Lord. Lord, as we see the role of that Spirit today, enlighten us, illumine us with the Holy Spirit Himself, Lord. Grant it in a special way where we can hear you today. We trust you, Father. We love you, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Pursue love. And desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So this first verse, let me stop there. This first verse, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. This first verse is so important because it's the glue for the last three of these chapters. Chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. He ties that whole theme, that whole thought together. He says, pursue love. What was the last chapter we just read? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. We look at agape love, what that looks like, how we're to yield to the Spirit and experiencing that love, how we're to love our brothers and sisters, how every gift is useless without love. You remember that passage that we looked at last week? That's how he starts. He says, pursue that, pursue that love. And then he says, desire spiritual gifts. These are covered in chapter 12, if you remember going through those last week, the idea of, of, of all these different gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us by His grace, it says. He grants us, He wills it, He gives it, and so we have these spiritual gifts. He says, desire those. What does that mean? Why should we desire these spiritual gifts? Sometimes I think we get this confused, and I think we think that means we should desire to see all the stuff we can do for the Lord. 
I think that's the way we translate that in our minds sometimes. What can I do for Jesus? What can I do for the Lord? That's the way we think sometimes. I need to use my gifts, my talents to serve the Lord. Now, granted, we should be servants of the Lord. Amen? If we are to be children of Christ, we talked in, in Sunday school about Christianos, this idea of little Christ, these followers of Jesus. If we are to be that, we are to look like Jesus. And Jesus looked like a servant from the time he washed feet to the time he hung on a cross. He served. Amen? So we're to look like a servant, yes, but it's not about what we can do for Jesus. I think the correct understanding of this is is we should desire for the Holy Spirit to do something in us and through us. Are you with me? Is that a little different? Are you catching my drift here? It's not about what Jerry can do. It's about what the Holy Spirit can do in me and through me. It's much different. And then we start to look more like Jesus. And so we should desire spiritual gifts, he says, that the Spirit would work through us. But especially that you may prophesy. Okay, this is where it gets a little deeper, a little challenging even, is is what does it mean by prophesying? We're going to talk all about that in a little bit. But what he's doing is he's kind of laying the groundwork, the foundation of what he's going to talk about in chapter 14. So he connects 13, says we're pursuing love, connects 12, desire these spiritual gifts. But now let me talk to you about the importance of prophesying. And we're going to talk about tongues today too. He's going to go hand in hand with both of these. And so he kind of leads this this idea of of what this looks like and that there's a desire, and especially, he says, that you may prophesy. That's how he starts this chapter in verse 5. That's how he ends it in verse 39. He says, let's not forbid speaking in tongues, but let's desire more to prophesy. So today's going to get a little interesting. Amen? This is hard stuff. We have disagreements about these things, and so I want to walk through this with you humbly, gently, but obediently to the Word of God. So we're going to spend this chapter looking at how he believes, how Paul is kind of encouraging prophecy, not to forbid tongues, but to encourage prophecy more so for these reasons. One reason, edification, that we would be edified, that we would build each other up. And so let's go back to our passage. Let's look at the scripture. Stick with scripture today. Chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification. There's that word. Speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues. So he's not coming against tongues. Listen to what he says. I wish you all spoke with tongues. But even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive what? Edification. Encouragement. Building up of one another. And so Paul uses this word edification five different times in these three verses, in the last three of those verses, that we would edify, that we'd build up. It literally means to to build up or construct. It's one of Paul's favorite words, and it goes with both of his illustrations that he's been using. He used the illustration of of the body, right, in chapter 12. He uses the body of Christ, and he says we're to build it up. We know what that means, like bodybuilding, right? Exercising the body, building it up. Hey, hold off on that picture. Don't put that up there yet. And so, there's bodybuilding, there's this lifting up, and, and uh, I'll cue you, okay? And so, there's this picture, not that picture, you got me all messed up, Lisa. And so, there's bodybuilding, but it also goes with his illustration of the temple. Remember, he talks about the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we are to build these bricks and 
Peter talks about that too, that we lay on the foundation of Christ and we as a church are a temple being built up. So you build, you construct all those things. So where I was going with this is we know what this looks like, don't we? What happened with the Corinth church is the Corinth believers were more focused on building themselves up more so than building up of the church. It would be like the biceps just worrying about them and building themselves up and leaving everything else alone. And we know what that looks like, don't we? Have you ever been to the gym before and you see the big muscular guys with the big upper bodies and they kind of walk out from behind something they got these scrawny little chicken legs? Are you with me? In fact, there was a TV show that I watched. Now you can put it up. Johnny Bravo. And he had this hair like this. And I remember watching him as a kid and, and uh, he would say things like, Hello, my name's Johnny Bravo and I'm looking for the babes. He'd say, he'd get his mirror out and he'd say, man, I sure look pretty. Totally inappropriate for a six-year-old. Nonetheless, as a six-year-old, I was watching this. The point I want you to see is the disproportion. That's what was happening to the Corinthian church. I did have a point with that. That the Corinthian church was looking more like focusing on themselves in one particular part of the body, but not the rest of the body, not the whole body. Paul says we need to focus on building up the whole body, not just yourself. And so there's a disproportion here. And honestly, I believe we can get guilty of this too. You can get that picture off. (laughs) We can get guilty of this too. Building ourselves up more so than building up the body. The sad thing, I think, though, is that when we do that, I think um, a lot of times we think we're righteous in it and we're holy in it. That's the unfortunate part of what I'm about to say. I think there's times that we build ourselves up and make ourselves um, um, do this. And we say things like this. I, I got to go to church so I can get filled up for the week. We've all said those things, right? I got to go to church so I can get filled up for the week. Or I have to have my Jesus or I'm just not a happy person. I have to have my Jesus time. Or I want to come and, and not have to worry about my kids or other people or the bills or anything else. I just want to focus on Jesus. Or personally, I just really need this time. The reality is every one of those statements really are about building yourself up and focused on yourself rather than really being focused on Jesus. But we feel right about it. We want to be holy. We want to be like Jesus. So we we talk about how we need to have this time and build this up. And maybe even so not as obvious, we say things like, well, I don't want to serve in any way because I need to get closer to Jesus first. Are you with me, church? I'm speaking to hearts right now, I know, because I'm, I'm, I, I've said this many times. I need to focus on myself. I need to get myself closer to the Lord as if it's us doing it anyway. I need to do this so that I can then serve. And we really mean it. We really want to get closer to the Lord, but what I'm about to tell you might shock you. Church isn't a place for you to come and try to get closer to Jesus. Do you all realize that? That goes against the world's belief of church. But church is not a place where we come to try to get closer to Jesus. Church is a people of God that gather and and for the glory of his name, knowing that he communes with us. That's what church is. It's about the union of Jesus, the union of of God with us through the Spirit. And it's not a a, a place, it's a people. So it's not about us just just coming to this place for this fill-up. It's... It's about honoring and glorifying the name of Christ and how he wants to do that through us. Not about what we do, how hard we try. It's about what he has done and what he continues to do. Amen, church? And so to understand the context of what Paul is going to get into in this chapter, chapter 14, I think we need to look at these two gifts, the tongues 
and prophecy. What are these things? What does it mean to speak in tongues? What does it mean to prophesy? What's the difference? Why is he relating them? Why is he showing a more emphasis on one versus the other? And, and so what does it mean to speak in tongues? And so first off, let me just share with you, there's a lot of contention over this answer. There's a lot of contention, a lot of, of, of struggle over this answer. And, and, and the first thing I want to do this morning as I talk about this is to say that I have dearly, dearly loved brothers and sisters in Christ that disagree with me on this. And I don't just mean just people I just, you know, I love. No, that if something ever happened to me, it would destroy me kind of love. Are you with me? Like I genuinely have a connection and, and fellowship with brothers and sisters that disagree on this answer. And that's okay. I still worship with them. Amen? And so get that understanding before I ever even work through what I believe Scripture teaches on this. There's some, there's some differences in this, and we can worship together. That's the principle I want us to get before I ever even talk through it. But I do believe that as we look at Scripture, and less at traditions, less at experiences, but we look at Scripture, I do think there's some more clarity that we might be able to see than we might think. And so I have my convictions on this. And so that's what they are, my convictions. So, what does it mean by speaking in tongues? I believe it means literally speaking in other actual known languages. I believe it's other languages that are being talked in that they were not trained in. And so if someone starts speaking in tongues, it would be like me speaking in French, and I've never heard or thought or even looked at a French textbook. Are you with me? And then somebody else that speaks French understands, and they're like, oh, he's speaking to me. <laughs> It's that, that miraculous. It's not any less miraculous. It's miraculous here. And you say, why do I think that? Well, if you go into Acts, the book of Acts, I think the very first place we see it in the early church is Acts 2. And if you look at Acts 2, there's a place where the tongues come up, right? The Holy Spirit comes down. The tongue starts happening. People speak in tongues. And what's very clear in that passage in that passage, is that it was other known languages. It talks about all the different people gathering around, and they heard in their own native languages. It was very clear that that's what happened in that passage. And so that's a good, firm understanding as, as I think about where to start with speaking in tongues. I, I start there. But when you come to 1 Corinthians 14 and you read this passage that says in verse 2, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. When you read that, you think, okay, wait a second. They don't speak to men, but they speak to God, so this must be some kind of heavenly language. And that's a popular thought that, that I disagree with, with other brothers and sisters that I truly, genuinely love. Please understand me. But I believe it's not talking about that, but they tied in with like Romans 26 that says, likewise, the spirit also helps in our weakness for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. So when you tie that in, sure, I can see 100% where people can go that direction. And again, that's why I try not to be dogmatic on it. But the point that I see that I want to bring out is I think that utterance of the Spirit that it talks about in Romans is different than speaking in tongues. He doesn't clarify that as tongues in that passage. He talks about how the Spirit at times when you're weak is the context there. When you're weak that the Spirit itself can intercede for you knowing exactly what you need to pray. 
And I have had that happen before. There's been times in my life where I have been so weak, so struggling, so hard down, and and not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing the words to say to God. And it's like the Spirit itself confirms that God is real and that He is with me. Are you with me, church? And so I believe that there's a very real reality of that. And, and, and how that looks, I'm, I'm not exactly sure all the time what, what that sounds like, what it looks like. For me personally, it's, an, it's this inner sense of utterance, this idea of God just connecting with me. And, but I can see how I can go a different direction. But going back to chapter 14, when you get to the full context of this chapter, I think we'll see how, he can, how it means other languages again. So when he says, for no one understands him, he, he's talking about no one there, I believe. No one there understands. That was the problem. They were misusing the gift. Paul is reprimanding them because they're speaking in tongues and there's no one there to interpret or to translate is the same word there. No one is there to do that and so they're just a bunch of people speaking in things that no one understands. And so Paul's addressing this issue with them. And, and, and so he's actually going to tell them to the point where he says, do not do it unless you have someone to interpret or unless you have someone to translate. Do not even do it. And he gives reasons for that. So again, that's the first thing I see is, is it's other languages. Another thing that I believe it is, is, is it's a sign. It's a sign. We will look a little more at this a little bit later, but I believe it was a sign for the early church, along with some other gifts, of establishing the church. You think about the church starting. It was 12 men that Jesus walked through with, and then Jesus kind of disappears into heaven, right? Good luck, church. 12 people. How does that get to us in Blackfoot? I believe by a powerful role of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit used these things like healings and miracles and, and all the things of the, of the tongue and, and, and all the different languages that was being proclaimed. And I believe he used that to establish his church. However, again, my personal conviction, and this is different, I'm not dogmatic on it, but the personal conviction here is that this is a sign that's no longer a normative sign. It's no longer a thing that we use normally for a sign. And the reason I believe that is, is, is for a couple reasons, and I'm going to dig into that a little bit more later. But I think this gift, spiritual, I mean, um, the spiritual gifts of tongues, of apostleship, even prophecy, and even healings to some degree, again, were normative for the establishment of the church, but no longer normative gifts in the same way. No longer normative signs, maybe I should say. Can God absolutely do healing still? Yes. Can he absolutely use someone to speak in tongues today? Yes. Can he absolutely do any of these things that he talks about doing? He's God. Amen, church, right? I'm not saying he can't do any of it. I'm saying that Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians already that Jesus himself crucified was the greatest sign. Amen? You remember that part? Him crucified was the sign. And that sign has been declared and shared to what we know as God's recorded word. But you think about the early church for a second. They did not have the recorded word of the New Testament. They had a hard time getting manuscripts of the Old Testament because they were so expensive. And so how was God going to grow this church and keep the message the same? He was going to do it through tongues and prophecy and healings and all these other things, I believe. And does he still do it? Yes, but not as a, a sign. Now he does it by his grace. You see the difference there, church? The sign of establishing the church versus now it's his grace, his love for us. And so there's the first one. Speaking in tongues. Again, I'm not dogmatic over the whole issue. What does dogmatic mean? It's this way or the highway. Are you with me? I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying from my conviction from the word of God, this is one of those tough passages. And I don't think that's Paul's big point here. And so I don't want to get lost in the trees here. 
But he does emphasize the use of prophecy more than tongues. And so what does that mean? There's no denying that. What does the word prophecy mean? Well, I believe when we think of New Testament prophecy, the first thing our mind goes to is preaching, right? We kind of use them interchangingly, I think, if, if we're mistaken. I think that's the way it happens. Well, prophecy is just preaching. And, and I, I don't think it's, it's that. And another way we look at it is, well, New Testament prophecy is future telling. But I don't think that's what New Testament prophecy was either, or the, even the Old Testament wasn't just future telling. It was more so forth telling the Word of God. The idea of telling the Word of God and God giving a message. And, and as He would supernaturally, through the Spirit, give a message to you, that would be relayed to the rest of the church. It was a supernatural thing. That's what prophecy was, in which God would give a message to a messenger, a prophet, and it would be immediately shared. And then it tells us in this passage that there were those there that would take and evaluate it. Other prophets would evaluate it to see if this was worthy, if this was really of God or really not of God. Why would he do this? They didn't have the New Testament. People are sitting there proclaiming some crazy things and if they God didn't put some kind of accountability in there of saying this is my spirit and it's true then they would have been all over the place and we would not have the church that we have today are you understanding me I think it's very simple in the fact that why he would do that is, is he had a way of accountability in that again not just preaching though not just preaching God has already delivered his message Paul says he has delivered the mysteries of God in Christ through Christ and so God used men of the of that time to write the new testament through the holy spirit through inspiration he uses us today through the illumination of the holy spirit as we read it he he works through that to show us what we're reading to gather and discern and so that's all part of that and so so yes those things happen but while prophesying is immediately sharing a message god gives you in that moment preaching is is, is a little different Preaching is a studying and a hard work through looking at the word he has provided through the inspiration and, or through the illumination of the Holy Spirit and then delivering that. Does the Holy Spirit work in that? Amen. Amen. But I wish I could tell you I was a prophet and I was prophesying. Because what that would mean is I could go about my normal week. And then I could just get up on Sunday, hop back here behind the pulpit, and just rely on a Holy Spirit anointing to just give a message directly toward you and not have to do any preparation at all. Wouldn't that be nice? It would be. <laughs> but that's not what preaching is. This message, as long, along with other messages, are hours and hours with a Bible open in front of me, begging the Holy Spirit to show himself and to help me discern what is being said so that it can be delivered. And does he work in prophetic ways sometimes? Yes, there's times that I'm preaching and I feel like he just gives me something that is not in my notes, that's not in my, uh, my, my study time, and it's just out of nowhere and it's directly for you. Yes, I believe God does that. But it's by his grace that he does that. But I'm to study and show myself approved and to God rightly dividing the truth is my call. He's given us the word. The second point that I want us to see this morning is the corporate work of the Spirit brings about understanding within the body. Now, this is where it starts to make more sense. Corporate work of the Spirit brings about understanding within the body. We've got a long passage here, so he's going to spend time showing the reason that you should desire prophecy more than the, the tongues. And so here it is, verse 6. If you're there, say amen. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, 
when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will you be known what is piped or what is played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Verse 13, therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Again, same word for translate. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. But if I, my understanding is unfruitful, what is the conclusion then? Well, he says, here's the conclusion. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving thanks? Since he does not understand what you say. See, even in the New Testament times, they were saying amen. I agree. Yes. Verse 17, for you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. So Paul himself says, I speak with tongues. Verse 19, yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than to speak 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues of other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign. There it is, as a sign. Not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, and he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, all thus the secrets of his hearts will be revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So there's a lot to take in here of what Paul's saying. First thing, I want to go back to this understanding part. The understanding plays off the role of revelation. The idea that God reveals, he uncovers, he shows his word to us, and that happens through the Spirit, and so it happens, it gives it to us. In other words, it's not enough to just hear. Amen? I think that's the problem with the American church model so much as we are all about coming and hearing. But it don't go much deeper than that. That's not enough. There's understanding that must happen. Look at John for chapter 1, verse 12. It says it on the screen here. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believed in his name. He says, becoming a child. He says, how does that happen? Those who received him and believed in his name. It takes a receiving of him. How do we receive him? Well, Matthew 13, 23, when Jesus is talking about the, the, um, the parable of the seeds, and he's talking about the good seed, here's what he says. He says, but he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. Who indeed bear fruits and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He says we must not only hear but understand. And so the whole point of what he's saying here is 
I'm not forbidding tongue speaking at all. And so however you even look at tongues, if you look at it the way I do or if you have another view, he's not saying I forbid it. No, he says I speak in tongues. He says, but I would rather to speak five words that others understand than 10,000 words in a tongue that is ununderstandable. Unless that is, there's an interpreter, someone that can interpret, he says. And so he uses some illustrations here. He says, think about, it just makes sense. He says, think about musical instruments, a flute and a harp. In fact, we got this drum set someone donated to the church. And so if I was to set right here and I was to play this thing, it would be the most awful noise that any of y'all have ever heard. Amen? Amen? It would not be recognizable. In fact, if there was, I would show you, but it would not be recognizable. But if Sebastian got up here and played this, it's just crazy. Just, just on the beat, you know exactly what song it is. It just gets you going. What's the difference? One, there's understanding, and one, there's not. Are you with me, church? He says, even the flute and the harp, if you don't do it with distinct sounds so that it can be understood, it's pointless. He says, what about a a, a trumpet that is blown for battle? If it's not done in a way that's recognizable, then what are we going to do? Are we going to retreat? Are we going to go to war? What are we going to do? He says, it just makes sense. He says, in our daily language, it, it comes back to this idea that it's not about sincerity here. It's about understanding. I want to make that point. It's not about sincerity. It's about understanding. No matter how sincere the speaker is, however you see tongues, no matter how sincere the speaker is, it's not, it profits little if there's no understanding, is what Paul says here. What does that mean? I'll give you an illustration. I think I've shared this with you before, but in my church in Indiana, I had a lady that came in and sat several weeks in a row on the back seat, and she would leave right away after service. So one day, I just ended the sermon and ran back there. I do that to y'all sometimes. If I see some of y'all that's been skipping for a while, so if you see me coming to you first, you know why. Just kidding. I ran up to her, and she doesn't speak any English, and she's been sitting in the services, and so I said, okay, next week I got this. So I went and started relearning all my Spanish from high school. And I said, all right, I got to get some sayings down here that I got to understand so I can be able to communicate. So she comes in that day. I said, oh, it's so good to see you in Spanish. And she says, so no, it's good to see you. Nothing. I said, I'm glad that you've been coming to church and bringing your son. We love that you are here. She's just staring at me. And then she starts talking back. I'm like, oh, I don't know what you're saying. (laughs) And then I said, okay, so that ended. I went up the next day, and she was at the, her husband worked at the gas station thing next door. And so he talked a little English, and I went in there and talked to him. I said, hey, I was trying to talk to your wife the other day. She didn't understand anything I said. I said, I was saying, like, I, I know I was saying my Spanish right. I was pr- practicing. He said, Spanish? He says, we're Hindus. <laughs> we speak Hindi. <laughs> there was no understanding on either part. Are you with me, church? Paul says, it's better to understand. I was sincere with all my heart. Another thing, Sebastian's mom was coming there for a couple weeks, and uh, she speaks all Spanish. <laughs> I got that one right. <laughs> and, uh, but little English. And she told me last time I was over there, she said, you just talk so fast. And she said, it's like, amen, Jesus, that's all I get, amen, Jesus, amen, Bible. She says, I struggle. And uh, it's because there's no understanding there. 
Are you with me, church? Paul says, I would rather speak five words that are understood than ten thousands in a tongue. Again, he talks about this idea of a tongue being used as a sign, and he quotes Isaiah 28, and that might be confusing. What's happening there is Isaiah's talking about Assyria coming in and Assyrians speaking other languages, and he says, this is a sign for you that, that I'm bringing judgment to you, and you need to respond and receive who I am as God, but they say they still yet do that, and so I believe in the same way, tongues, people speaking in other languages that you are understanding when you know they have no training in that language is a warning sign of turn to me. Turn to me. That's what happened at Pentecost. And then it was when Peter preached, they responded, 3,000 were saved. And so I believe it's still a sign. And, and so Paul gives this hypothetical situation, and he talks about if someone comes in, an unbeliever, and you're all speaking in tongues, he'll think you're crazy. He'll think you're out of your mind. But if you come in and prophesy, and he'll say, with his heart being convicted and his heart being convinced that he'll fall to his face and worship God is what he says. He says, wouldn't you like that better? The last point, I'm going to finish up here. The corporate work of the Spirit brings about order within the body. So look at verse 26. Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians 26. If you're there, say amen. How is it then, brethren, whenever you came together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for the edification. If anyone speaks in tongue, let it be two or at most three, each in turn, and let each one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Then it says, let your women keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. We'll deal with that. Or did the word... <laughs> Verse 36, or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that is reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or a spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. So let's just say this. This is what's happening here. Corinth is in a mess. They are in chaos, in division. There's disorder there. And Paul says, listen, God is a God of order. He's a God of order and a God of peace. He's kind of laying it down here. And then we see a glimpse of the, of the early church gathering. He says, sing a psalm, hear a teaching, and then a particular tongue would be given with interpretation. No more than three, he says. And then there would be more who prophesy one by one, and the others would judge them. And then we can't skip over that passage about women. What does that mean? This may come off shocking and, and, and kind of provoking to you, especially if you're a woman. What does this mean? Women are to keep silent in the church. Women are not permitted. They should learn from their husbands. That's the way it's brought at you sometimes. That's what it says, though, to some degree. What's it talking about here? Should women never pray in a gathering? Should women never talk out loud in church? If that was the case, we would be disobedient to this every Sunday, church. Are you with me? So this is a big deal. What does this mean? Sometimes Jacqueline comes up here and speaks. That would be disobedient. We pray and have corporate prayer. The, the ladies in the praise team sometimes pray and lead us in prayer. Is that okay? 
Well, if you take this at face value and just look at it, it sounds like it's not. But if you take it in context, I believe there's something else being said here. If you take it in immediate context, and the reason I do that is because if you go back to chapter 11, Paul already gave women permission to pray and to prophesy. He already gave permission in that in chapter 11 when he's talking about head coverings. So there's not saying that women are never allowed to speak in church. That's not what he's saying. I think the immediate context of this verse is that dealing with evaluating the prophecy. When they are to evaluate the prophecy. And again, prophecy is not preaching today. It's a little different, so it's a little different. But we can take some things from this. I believe in the early church, the major responsibility of doctrinal purity and accountability to hold true to the word laid heavy on the shoulders of men, especially the elders. I believe it's very clear in scriptures as you read through that. It's just a natural order. It's not God elevating one higher than the other. It's none of this. It's that God put an order to say, men, you are responsible. Take care of the church, the doctrine, the teaching. Make sure it's accountable to the word of God. And what's happened in the churches today is we see the exact opposite. It's lacking of men all over the place. And we see the, the consequences of that when, when, when God has given us an order and showed that men are to hold the church accountable to the word of God. We see the very opposite happening. When the things happening in the church just breaks my heart. Does it break yours, church? It's not saying women should never talk, never pray, never walk through that. It's talking about the whole idea of this responsibility of holding accountable Now, can a woman come and talk to me about my preaching and say, was that really accurate? Absolutely, come talk to me. I'd love to walk through it with you, but I'm going to do it with another woman because that's just a boundary that I have, and and then I'm going to pray through it, and it's not an authoritative. You come attacking me and walking through, that's a little different story. But at the end of the day, I believe God has placed a responsibility on the men. Amen? So men, we got to pick it up. God desires order. That's the last way it ends. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. How does the Spirit's work happen? Through edification, understanding, and order. This is not one of those messages you leave here and say, I got these three good takeaways that I can go home and just work with. That's not one of these messages. And sometimes people think church is a place to come and you get these three little good takeaways and and that's the way it happens and you go home with that. That's not church to me. I already told you church is a place we come and worship the Lord for who he is. And if this passage doesn't do that, if it doesn't make you say, what is tongues? I feel like there's tension there. We have so much division and struggle with that. If that doesn't draw you into the word of God, whatever you believe, then I don't know what will. This is a passage that says seek me what does it mean for women to be quiet what does that passage mean that's a passage that seeks us into worship amen have you been able to worship this morning with me I pray that you have how is the spirit working corporately though in your life there is some application here how is it working corporately who is he edifying through the ministry in you how is God bringing you into a corporate understanding of who he is And do you find yourself in a corporate confusion or corporate peace? I believe these are all convicting questions for us because the truth is I believe that many of us even in here today try to go at this alone. I believe we do. We try to go at this whole life thing, this whole Jesus following thing alone, and it will not work. It will not work, church. It goes back to last week's message. We must yield to the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit, that we would surrender to the Spirit and that He would do this awesome work of understanding edification, all this uh, order and all the things that we see. Yes, that would happen, but it comes from yielding to the Spirit. And until we come to the one who says, Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age, it will never happen. Until we come to the one who says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, you will remain alone. 
Come to the one of the recognition that the Holy Spirit, God himself, reigns inside of you and communes with you. Until you do that, you will be alone and it will not work. Last night, and I'm going to close with this story. I was over here working last night, and it was dark, and so had the lights off, and Annabelle, my, our two-year-old, was uh, in the office with me, and she uh, wanted to go to the restroom. And so I said, okay, sweetie, go ahead. And she walks out. She said, it's scary. I scare we. She says, I scare we. Um, yes, you are, baby. No. I scare we. The lights. And so I go out there, and I turn on the lights. And then I say, okay, go to the bathroom. So she goes to the bathroom. And so if you've been in our bathrooms, you know that those things are motion-censored. And if there's no motion, what happens? The light goes off. So she closes the door. She goes in there. I go back to my office. Well, she did her business, and the light went off. And I hear screaming, Daddy! Daddy! Help me, Daddy! Daddy! You've heard that before, haven't you? Daddy, help me. In church, I opened that door, and I walked in. Light flooded the place, and I opened the door. And there she was with tears in her eyes, and she had her hands up like this. And she said, Daddy, I'm so scary. And then she gave me this biggest hug I've ever had. And she said, please don't leave. Please don't leave. That's the way we should be to our Heavenly Father, church. Maybe you found yourself today in a place of darkness. And you need the light of Christ to flood your room. How does it happen? Put your hands out to him and say, Daddy, I need you. I need your help. Would you do it, Lord? Maybe you come to the altar today and you say, I need you, Daddy, I need you. And he'll be running like he did for his prodigal son with arms wide open to embrace you. Father God, Lord, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would move so, so strongly in our hearts, Lord. Lord, that you would bring about a sense of urgency in our need for you. Lord, may we be filled with tears today saying, I need you, Dad. Heavenly Father, I need you. I need you, Lord. And then when you come in through our life and we grab a hold of you, may we clench you and say, never leave. Knowing that you won't because you promised that you won't. Lord, whether that's for salvation, for the very first time of clenching onto you and saying, I need you, don't leave. Would you make it happen today, Lord Jesus? Would you help us call on the name of Jesus, the only name in which salvation comes from? Would you help it happen today because today is the day of salvation? Do it, Lord. Do it through your spirit, by your grace, through faith. Lord, do it. Please, Lord, we beg of you. Lord, if we're just in darkness and we're struggling and we need to feel your embrace, we forgot what it feels like. Lord, if we need to feel that, if we need to see the light because it's so dark, Lord, would you open up that door and let your light flood in? Would we seek you, Christ? That's how it happens. And you do it through the Holy Spirit, Lord. That's what I want us to get from this passage. Let's not get tied up on all the things we can disagree on. Help us focus on our need for you and what you desire, Lord, as, as we cry out to you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Do it in our hearts right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand? I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior calling. I 
the Lord Church. Amen. All right, so the Denims, Lester and Sandra. I always say Sandy, Sandra, Sandy, whatever you want to call her. Just don't call her late for something. Um, but uh, they want to join the church, and it'll be by statement of faith for her and by him baptism next week. And so praise the Lord. Yes. So, 75 years old being obedient to Christ by stepping into baptismal waters. 75. That, yeah, glory, brother, yeah. I want that to be a testimony for all you out here. You, no matter what age you are, have not stepped into believer's baptism after you've been saved and saying, I want to follow Jesus and be obedient in that, no matter when the salvation was. You've not been baptized as a believer. Maybe you come and talk to me and we have a couple baptisms next week. I'm sure Lester wouldn't mind not being alone, right? And so I'm so excited y'all come up and say whatever you want to say to them. Be nice though. Encourage them. Lift them up. And uh, we love them. And it's exciting to serve with y'all. And so I want to ask, Wiley, would you close us in a word of prayer, brother? Well, we just thank you for how you're moving in our church and for the message you've sent and how you're blessing the words in our hearts and our minds and leading us and the pastor righteousness for thy name's sake, for thy glory. We love, Lord, we don't hate. We love you with all our heart, and we pray that you continue to move us in that direction, and it will be reflected throughout our lives and always in all forms. Lord, we ask you to forgive us of our sins and forgive us where we failed you. We pray in Jesus' mighty, perfect name. Amen. 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 Amen.